campus of Reichman University. Fully booked. Read into it with Michelle Amar and Liras Levy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. You are listening to Fully Booked on Audioversity, the voice of Reichman University. This is the podcast where we discuss our favorite books, discover new reads, and give you a bunch of new recommendations. We are your hosts. My name is Michelle. And I'm Liraz. And today, we are going to be talking about women. I love women. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we all? (laughs) Um, So, in honor of International Women's Day, we want to be talking about women in fiction. Favorite authors, amazing female heroines. Favorite female authors. Yes. And we are going to be criticizing people who do not know how to write women. I love criticism. (laughs) I love giving criticism. Oh, I'm sure you do. All right. Um, So, Michelle, do you want to start us off? I would. Um, First of all, just before we get into anything, a bit of a trigger warning for this episode. We are going to be discussing suicide, sexual assault, and mental illness in this episode. So if anybody doesn't want to hear that, you don't have to listen. That's fine. You can skip it. But for everybody that's fine with that, you can continue on right ahead. And I think the best way to start off is discussing some of our favorite female authors. I agree. Um, so Liraz, would you like to give a few of yours? Just some just some female authors that inspire you. Um, all right. I think I'm going to start with Agatha Christie. Okay. I discovered her. It's not like it's a new discovery. Discovered her. Listen, but no, I kind of fell in love with her. Let's put mm-hmm. it like that. Uh, during quarantine where I read and then there were none. And it's I so think, good. <laughs> I know. It's incredible. It's amazing. I did not expect it to be that good because I'm usually not a fan of like murder mysteries. And mm-hmm. like, you know, the cozy ones. Yeah. Those are less my type. I love the thrillers when I'm in the mood. Yeah. Um, But Agatha Christie is amazing. Like, I, I think she's one of the most prolific fiction authors. Oh, yeah. There are like women that there are because I think she sold over two billion copies Isn't, of her books. I think I think it is. And then there were none. That's like the most widely sold mm-hmm. book of all time besides like the Bible. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, like, go off. I mean, but, it's like, amazing. And, you know, she wrote like... I think, like, about 70 books, if I'm not mistaken. She's got, like, a million. I know. She's passed away now, but... (laughs) Yeah, she was incredible. Um, And I think the thing that I loved most about her stories was that her female characters were really real. You know, they were complex. They were, like, genuine, and they were realistic. And a lot of the times, they were just as bad, or sometimes even worse than the men in the books. Mm -hmm. You know, like, they were skeeving they were uh, you know they were like manipulative and I love that um and I also really loved how you know they were very central to the plot of yeah. the stories you know they weren't just like side characters that were there just for like comedic relief or just yeah. you know to add to the story um and also I'm really excited about this because I just found out about that like not long ago she has a female detective like Does she has she? an entire series. You know how she has these like. She's got um, like two main. T- I think there's the, there's Pierrot, yeah, the detective, and she has Miss Marple. Oh, oh, mm-hmm. yeah. I never heard of that. So before. I never read them, but I remember when I because I've only ever read and then there were none by Agatha mm-hmm. Christie. Fantastic novel. I gave it Amazing. five stars. Same. It's so good. But when I read and then there were none, I looked up her whole bibliography and I saw 
the Miss Ma- Miss Maple Marple Marple, and I saw that, and I was like, oh, like cool, but I just I never like actually looked at them. So apparently, it's an entire series of of like books where she's a female detective, and she you know does detecting. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, English. <laughs> <laughs> she you know solves crimes, um, but I think that I, a lot of the books you know they deal with like a lot of feminist themes, and they deal with how like how different it is to be a female detective than it is to be, like, a male detective in that industry. I really want to check out that I series. really want to read them as well. I have not read them yet, but I'm very I excited for it. I loved And Then There Were None. Mm-hmm. I loved I loved Vera. I know. She was so good. She was incredible. Ugh, like, what a strong start. I know. Okay, so, Michelle, how about you? Okay, so I've got a lot. <laughs> I've sort of, like, discovered that it's been a long time since I read and enjoyed a book by a man. Just <laughs> I mean, same. <laughs> um, I think it's just because the sort of books that I've been reading lately, they're more just centered around, like, less about a woman and, like, more what it means to be a woman. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, like, who who's writing that better than women themselves, you know? Yeah. So that's sort of what I've been. I really obviously want to shout out my favorite author, my favorite writer, my favorite anything of all time, Sylvia Plath. Okay. <laughs> Take I need a, a moment for this. <laughs> Sylvia Plath to me is I feel like you know how you know how like this is a very old joke, but like you know how men were when like the Joker came out? Mm-hmm. Like Sylvia Plath is my Joker. I love her so much. The first time that I I found her, I think I found her. I started reading her, I think at the perfect time in my life. Like I think you need to be in a very specific state to start reading and enjoying Sylvia Plath the way that certain people do. And I'm not encouraging that state. It's not a great state to be in. But, like, if you really want to relate, which I don't really encourage. Um, <laughs> I don't encourage you to relate with her books. <laughs> no, like, because honestly, it's such it's such a hard, like, place to be in, you mm-hmm. know. But I was in that place when I first read The Bell Jar. And I read it for my English class. And it truly just, like, changed my life. And since then, I've just been, like, I mean, I'd obviously read some of her poetry before because of also English class, but I'd never, like, gone out and got a collection of hers. I'd never read The Bell Jar. And then when I did, it really just, like, you see why she is, like, so celebrated the way that she is. And Mm -hmm. this is one of the reasons why, like, the complete, like, sexualization of women really bother me is because Sylvia Plath committed suicide. And she was very young when she did. And it's such a, like, it really bothers me when people say, like, oh, well, you know, it kind of needed to happen because then, like, look at her art and look at what it's turned into. Like, that's bullshit. That's such a terrible, like, one, the last poem that she wrote before she died, one of them, is so heartbreaking and it's so devastating. And you really see the state of her mind that she was in. Mm-hmm. And you see that something terrible is going to happen. And to say, like, oh, well, she she needed to to kill herself for, for, like, her work to come out the way that it has. Like, that's so... Or when people say, like, well, you can't be a good poet if you're not depressed. Like, that's so harmful. And it's so terrible to say. Because they're saying, like she's not worth anything unless she becomes like a great poet like her wife her life isn't worth like yeah there's this quote happy. there's this quote that i know i don't know who said it i can't remember but 
I saw it on Tumblr in my Tumblr days. <laughs> and the quote is, like, the only good girl is a dead girl. Mm-hmm. And it's so, like, I feel like people do that to Sylvia Plath a lot. And it really hurts because she's such an important writer to me. And I have to quickly shout out my favorite quote of all time, which is by Sylvia Plath. And, I mean, like, I've told you the quote before. It really hit. Like, it's something that's, just, like, again, like, it's a very important quote to me, because when I first read it, it's not in the bell jar. It's actually from a collection of letters that she wrote, and it's so, I don't even know how to describe it. And, like, I just need to say it really quick. So, basically, it's in the middle of this piece that she's writing, and she says, I'm afraid of getting older. I'm afraid of getting married. I want to be free, free to know people and their backgrounds, free to move to different parts of the world so I may learn that there are other morals and standards besides my own. I want, I think, to be omniscient. I think I would like to call myself the girl who wanted to be God. Wow, I think it's like, that's such a powerful quote. I think it's amazing. I understand why you love it because it's like being a woman. (laughs) Being a woman. It's difficult. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I think that, I hate that she had to go through what she went through to create such a heartbreaking, I mean, sentence. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I understand why it's one of your favorites. Yeah. I personally haven't read The Bell Jar yet. I am not mentally stable enough it's to do it. It's so good. It's one of my favorite books of all time. Um, but she's not the only author that I want to mention. Like I said, I have quite a few. Mm-hmm. Um, Gillian Flynn. <laughs> Gillian Flynn has done for me something that I don't think any author has done in the sense that I okay I think the I think one of the reasons why I react to Gillian Flynn the way that I do is because I read her when I was pretty young like I read Gone Girl for the first time and I was like I think a 13 or 14 right holy cow (laughs) that to me is I mean I guess I guess that would be my joker instead of like Gone Girl to me that's my joker you know like it's so Amy Dunn the cool girl monologue that was the best thing in the movie. The cool girl mono- No, because in the book, it's okay, so it. much better. It's so much better. I mean, like, the movie does it great. Like, don't get me wrong. The movie is a an almost perfect adaptation for me. Mm-hmm. But the the book is so good. And, like, the way that... The way that you first realize what's happening and the way that it starts off, like, there's no... Like, there's no easing you in. Like, she just... Like, Amy, she just starts going hard. And, like, that's how she is the entire book and it's so good and Gillian Flynn has really just revolutionized female villains for me and not just female villains but also just like females in general and the way like she just lets them be so evil or not even evil like just so unlikable and human in a way that we don't get to see women be Mm -hmm. and this to me was my first introduction to that I had never read anything where women were allowed to be themselves in that way like flawed yeah and so because I but like when I first read it I didn't realize that that was like a boundary that women had and I didn't realize that that was something that you couldn't get so to me when I read Gone Girl I was like oh okay well like this is probably all over the place in fiction right and then I couldn't find it and then I started realizing what actual like boundaries women were facing Mm -hmm. and that's when I really started to appreciate her so much more for doing that and 
like I'm waiting for the third like I'm waiting for the fourth book like please it's been so long since Gone Girl came out and like I read Sharp Objects it's so good I read Dark Places it was fine like but like I'm waiting like I'm waiting for the next one and she's just like not like I don't know where she is I don't know what she's doing like please like give me something to work with because like there's not like I like you haven't read any Gillian Flynn right no I really want to but the way that she does women is so I don't even know like I I don't want to say that it's something that's like never been done before because the idea of a woman writing a woman like like she does like a real person never having been done before that really makes me sad mm-hmm. especially because I think Sharp Objects which was her first novel came out in I think 2006 and that's that's really that's sad to me to ago, think about but... in the scope of the but, the universe yeah, it's no not. I mean it's a long time ago for like for now but like if it has been only been written, like, in Especially 2006. Especially when you think about the way that, like, Agatha Christie's been writing books since, like, the 30s. Like, yeah. it's, it's... It's a long time. It's really sad to think that, like, that's the first one that truly made me feel like, wow. Mm-hmm. You know? And I hope that... I mean, now there's sort of been this, like, surge of women in fiction that do that. And I have some... Female rage. <laughs> oh, I, I have some recommendations at the end of this episode that we're going to be getting into. But other authors that I really want to shout out, um, Helene Sixu, an amazing poet and philosopher who I think is just stunning in every way. Her quotes make me... I don't know how to say this right, but like they make me want to eat glass. Like, <laughs> like I mean, <laughs> there's no other way to put it except that. But in a positive way? In such a positive way. Okay. <laughs> like... Like, wow. Um, Margaret Atwood. Mm-hmm. The whole, you are your own voyeur. Did I send you that? You sent me that quote. I did. It was amazing. Because I was reading um, this collection of poetry that I have by her, Dearly, and in this one poem, she makes a reference to a statement that she made in a book that she published, I think, in the 90s, where she basically says, like, women are our own voyeurs. And that essentially boils down to the fact that there is a man living inside every woman watching you and assessing everything that you do and that everything is a male fantasy. And when I read that quote in the poem where she says you are your own voyeur, I just immediately like, like her mind, like, wow. It's incredible. Um, Eve Babbitts revolutionized the cool girl of the 60s and 70s, honestly. Um, Sally Rooney, of course, no one's writing mentally ill women like she is. No one is writing mentally ill women like she is. She's writing that, like, if Gillian Flynn is writing evil women, Sally Rooney is writing mentally ill women. And, like, she does it so well because she lets them just, like, be and you see every single flaw that they have. But you also see everything that's so good about them. And it's so good. Um, Joan Didion. I unfortunately have not read any Joan Didion, but the little, like, the few passages that I've read of hers Mm -hmm. that I've seen on, like, Instagram or anything like that. Slap. (laughs) Um, Mary Shelley actually created the concept of a Frankenstein monster. Mm -hmm. And because before that, um, there were vampires and there were werewolves and everything, but those were all, like, folklore um, those are all folklore monsters and everything. And she created an entire new being that nobody had ever done before. And she was a woman that did it. And yeah. it's so incredible. Um, what a queen. The Bronte sisters revolutionized gothic literature. They did. And Mary Gateskill, who, if nobody knows about her, so I know her from a short story that she wrote for The New Yorker called This Is Pleasure. And 
she apparently wrote an entire collection of I mean she has a few collections and I actually have them on my phone that I need to read but she basically takes very nuanced looks at um different issues and controversies surrounding women and sexual assault and everything and offering new perspectives but also never letting you think that she's like defending anybody she just really knows how to do it okay you know she just gets it and I love her. This is Pleasure. It was one of my favorite short stories that I read last year. And I actually read quite a few. And it was one that, it was the one, I think, that stuck out to me the most. You actually recommended that to me. Um, I did. And I did start reading it yesterday. Oh, did you? Mm-hmm. I'm and? not very far. I was very tired. But oh, okay. <laughs> from what I did read, like, I liked her writing style. And it, it's very easy to get through. So yeah. This is Pleasure. It's very short. It's also online for free Mm -hmm. because it was published on The New Yorker. You can find it. Super accessible. It's not that long. It was published in a book format, and I think that it ended up being like 80 pages. So, I mean, it took me like 20 minutes to read it. Well, you're a fast reader. No, I'm saying like on the website where it's like a bit quicker to get through. It took me like 20 minutes, and it's it's fine. It's it's good. I really enjoyed it. Okay. I'll let you know what I think about it later. I really want to know. Okay. I think after I just went on, like, my little rant about, like... We love it. Women and, like, just women. Um, Liraz. Yes. My, possibly, like, my favorite part of this entire episode. It's time to criticize. Yay! And better than just... We're criticizing men. Because we love to do that. I love criticizing men. But specifically, we're criticizing men writing women. And, my God, if anyone... I, like, don't want to talk about it. (laughs) If anyone has ever read a man try to kind of portray or, like, delineate a woman in any way, it always goes so wrong and so bad, so quickly. Like, I don't want to talk about it, but, like, I do, but, like, it disgusts me. <laughs> let's start with something easy, okay? okay? Um, Let's start with how women are described in general. Like, I think... That's not easy. Okay, <laughs> okay. I think yeah. that a lot of times in fiction, especially fiction written by men, uh, there tends to be this, let's call it trope, called the manic pixie dream girl, which is basically a female character who is in the story just for the main character, the male main character. Basically, she's only there to further his plot and his story and to make him look more desirable. I hate <laughs> the Manic Pixie Dream Girl so much. And, like, I was a John Green teen. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was a John Green teen, okay? I loved... That's, like, the ultimate Manic Looking Pixie Dream for Girl. Alaska. I loved that book. I couldn't finish it. That and I was book, 14 when I read it. When I was, when I was what, I think I was 13, that book, like, I was, like, oh, yeah, for sure, that's me. And, like, who, <laughs> who, who, who? Like, who was I speaking about? Because Alaska... Who? She has no personality. None whatsoever. No personality. Like, what was I thinking? I actually am a John Green hater now. <laughs> you so, just like the tables turned. I, yeah, like I am a John Green hater now. Actually, The Fault in Our Stars. I hate that book so much. The Kiss in the Anne Frank house. Oh, no, that was... Even, I don't want to like, talk about that. Even I didn't... I read the book after I watched the movie. I didn't even finish the book because yeah. I just didn't like his writing. But 
the kiss in the Anne Frank house was so uncomfortable I don't and wrong. Because like, so many levels. It reminds me, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of that time that Justin Bieber <laughs> went to the Anne Frank house and he wrote in the book. This isn't funny. Like, I should not be laughing. I don't know the story. But he like, wrote in the book um, something about, like, how it's really sad about what happened to Anne Frank. And that he wishes that she would have been alive today so that she could be a believer or something. Oh, my. Oh, my God. Or that, or that like, he thinks that if... Or, no, sorry. It was that he hoped that if Anne Frank were to have been alive today, that she would have been a believer. And, like, same energy. <laughs> Honestly, you're not wrong. Wow, the ignorance. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, like, though, like that. those two scenes... Are just wow to me, you know, but like, I'm talking about looking for Alaska in particular, the manic pixie dream girl. So I read Breakfast at Tiffany's not long ago. Oh my God, that's my favorite movie of all time. Um, I can't believe you still haven't read the book. Yeah. <laughs> now here's the thing. Tiffany is the ultimate manic pixie Tiffany? dream girl. Wow. I'm sorry. I don't even know her name. No, I'm joking. I know her name. I just can't remember it. <laughs> Wait, Holly, go lightly. <laughs> no, I was so excited to talk about this because, okay, mm, okay, because this is your favorite movie, right? Yeah. So I thought you read the book. So I no. read this book thinking like... I own it. I know you do. That's I, I read this book thinking like, oh, yay, I can talk to Michelle about it because I love talking to you about books. Mm. So I read it and like the... Holly? Holly is like... Such a Manic Pixie Dream Girl. She's only there... To be clear, Truman Capote did invent the Manic Pixie Dream Girl with Holly Golightly. So, like, shout out to him, King. Yeah, but she's only there to further the, like, the main character's, like... The narrator. Yeah, the narrator's whole storyline. And the entire plot is just there because, like, you know, she's funny. She's frivolous. She's, like, she's not really smart and she doesn't really care about anything like you know responsibilities and oh she's a silly little woman who like loves to you know run around and do all kinds of silly little things and the way that he describes her (laughs) is very i don't know it's like offensive but on the other hand he's like he fully believes he's in love with her yeah but that is the whole thing about the manic pixie dream girl the man never thinks they're being offensive with it Mm -hmm. they totally believe that they're doing something amazing by saying like oh she's really stupid but you know i like her anyways or like doing because like the thing is about a lot of these things is that they they never it's not that these women don't have a personality. It's that the man never allows them to have mm-hmm. one. And then they, they go and they it. say, like, oh, but I'm in love with her anyway. And the shitty thing is, is that, like, these, they always have such, like, banger quotes about it. But it, like, they, it just describes, like, the emptiness of a woman. And it's, like, my guy, like, she's not empty. You're just not letting her be, like, who she actually is because you don't care about who she is. I know. You know? Like, and, there's one quote mm-hmm. from Breakfast at Tiffany's. That it goes, I loved her enough to forget myself. And I'm like, how dare you? How dare you write that sentence? And then, like, the two characters are just, wow. They're, no. Like, these characters don't deserve (laughs) this sentence. Because it's such a beautifully written sentence. And it, like, it means a lot. But the guy only says that about Holly when she's riding on a horse and her hair is blowing in the wind and she looks so pretty. That's why he says it. She's pretty. That's the only thing that in that moment he believes she can give him, her attractiveness. 
you know? I really do just, like, hate men. <laughs> like... Also, like, can we talk about the fact that, like, women are there because of their bodies? Like, if they can't give them either sex or children, they're useless. You know what I hate when men, when they say, like, oh, like, I need to have, like, children, but then, like, like refuse to take care of the mm-hmm. children. Or they're, like, disgusted by their oh. by their wives or, like, girlfriends' bodies when they are pregnant or after they've been pregnant. No, that's not how it works, dude. I hate it. Anyway. Also, it's, like, it's not only the manic pixie dream girl there's also like the femme fatale and i feel like it's either that or that it can never be like a normal woman so like this it's is either why that or that this is why i'm obsessed with gillian flynn because like amy dunn she's like she's like such a bitch I'm like i love her for it you know like actually unironically an amy dunn defender <laughs> we love that for you um but like you know, like, you see, like, James Bond and everything and, like, those movies. And it's always this, like, really, like, tall, like, skinny, sexual woman. And mm-hmm. she's, like, this super... And, like, you know what pisses me? Like, this is a really, like, small thing. But what always pisses me off is that these women always have, like, such long hair. But they're always doing these, like, really intense fight scenes mm-hmm. without putting their hair up. Like, how does it work? And I'm, like... Tell me your secret. What? <laughs> like, huh? And it's because, like, they need it to, like sexy like whip across their face or whatever and i'm like actually no and like i really just i hate the trope of like the femme fatale so much Mm because it's so because it completely hinges on the idea that like a woman is only going to be threatening if she's sexy enough to do so Mm -hmm. and that's a choice that some authors make you know it's very shallow both of these tropes are very shallow they just like take everything out of the woman that they're trying to portray and just give her like what can she do for the man? I want to give a quick shout out to 500 Days of Summer, the movie, which really um, just completely like subverts the mm-hmm. Manic Pixie Dream Girl trope. Have you ever seen it? No. Okay, it's I've really good. I've watched interviews, though. <laughs> it's really good. My favorite part about it is that every single man that watches this movie, not every single man, not all men, guys. Um, many men. <laughs> many men who watch this movie are, like, so on the summer hate train. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, my God, her character sucks. Like, blah, blah, blah. And then you look at interviews with, like, the cast and everything. And the main main guy, I think think the actor is uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. Right? And he's like, guys, he, like, kind of sucks. Like, (laughs) he's actually doing, like, everything wrong in this movie. Like, that's the whole point to show that he's the one that's, like, really messed up and Summer's not. I mean, like, she is flawed, but that's the thing the movie lets her be flawed mm-hmm. without blaming her blaming for her for not wanting to be in a relationship with this guy like she's flawed because of other things not because of the fact that she doesn't want to be in a relationship with him like that's the whole thing like no because here's the thing like the whole idea of like a girl listening to the smiths and immediately being seen as like unique and special and so different like actually cuz like that's how they meet in mm-hmm. the movie on an elevator she's right in the elevator and I think he's listening to the Smiths and she hears the music through his headphones and she's like, oh, the Smiths. And he's like, yeah. And they have a little like two second conversation about how much like she likes them and he likes them. And then in his voiceover, he's like, oh, my God, she's like perfect in every way. A, a girl who listens to the Smiths. And I'm wow. like, actually going to delete every single Smiths song on my <laughs> playlist as we speak. But I mean, like, please, you know, I hate it. But okay. that movie's really good. I should watch it. Yeah, it does a really good job of, like, subverting that whole thing. Anyway, um, Liraz. This is my favorite part. Yes. <laughs> so this was your idea. Would yes. you like to lead us on this? Okay. Um, 
So basically, I fear for men sometimes because of their complete lack. Because they're stupid. Of understanding of like general knowledge of the female reproductive system. At all. Like there's no, nothing. Like the last brain cell in their like head is like not working. It's not cooperating with them when they write like about women. <laughs> I'm trying not to be too mean, but it's not working because this is something that I'm very, like, angry about. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm going to start with periods. Let's just go right in. Yeah. We're going to go right in. Men don't know how to write periods or how period work. Periods work. Not all men. I feel like we're going to be repeating this a lot, but a lot of male authors. Okay, because you know what? I don't feel like I need to say not all men because like if you know then like you know Mm -hmm. and if you're a man and like you understand what i'm talking about like you're fine like you don't need to be offended but if you're a man and you're listening to this which like i'm sure you are obviously to my father who's listening to this (laughs) (laughs) you know like to my brother should we like um, (laughs) tone it down a little bit (laughs) no (laughs) um like stephen king oh my god no wait mm, i'm coming for him okay we're gonna get there So we're, I feel like men, male authors who write women have a hard time grasping the concept of periods. It's the fact that like they think they know it all, don't they? Because the amount of times I've read a male author say she, like a woman had control over her period, like she could decide when she starts her period or like, it's like peeing, you know, like she could hold it in. The best thing that I ever saw was this one where this man said that like that like he knew that the woman that he was like falling in love with or whatever was like a true good honest woman and that she had never been with any other man because she was able to hold her period inside meaning that like you get it you know if you're a virgin (laughs) if you're a virgin then you have control over when you have your period or not but the moment that you have sex with somebody um that from then on you like that's when you have your period every month and she's not a pure honest woman anymore oh yeah because like mm-hmm. she's been with she's been with a man oh my god how rude like how actually dare she? what how dare she because like what is that concept i don't know because like where are they learning that stuff because what i because what i want to know like the educational system because what i want to know <laughs> really is like up. is like okay i'm i'm i was born and raised in new york right mm-hmm. I, american school like system we know it sucks <laughs> right like we know it but we didn't learn anything even close to that in health class. So, like, whatever we did learn about the period, like, it wasn't like that. I mean, like, to be fair, like, I didn't, I don't remember learning about the period in school. I did. Really, I was in did an international you? school in Germany, oh, okay. and they were amazing with their sex ed class. I'm Good. so lucky about that. But what I want to know is where did these men, like, go up like look up these things because like that's what i want to know i think because like periods are considered taboo then a lot of men and unfortunately women don't talk about them right um so the only way that you can get information is from other people in your circle and now most people in like you know in your circle might not be very knowledgeable in these areas so whatever information they give you is bound to be wrong i have to point this out really quick though because like i feel like there's like two complete opposite sides of the spectrum when it comes to the period right because apparently it's such a huge topic there's the side that we've been talking about now for the past few minutes which is just like men not knowing what the fuck is going on ever and then you have the other side where a man will be like 
but a period is normal and all the girls are like oh my god oh my god you get what amazing. i'm saying because like you know we've been talking about men writing women but i want to give a quick shout out to um women writing men mm-hmm. real quick not in the good way um so sarah j mass <laughs> no so sarah j mass there's this very one specific moment i remember um this was one of the reasons why i stopped reading her because i got so like sick of it and there's this scene where like the main character is going through like really bad period cramps Mm -hmm. and like she spends basically like three books building up this guy to be like the ultimate dream guy like he's such a feminist king like that's what he's like and it's super cringe and Mm -hmm. then you get to this part in this little like novella that she wrote and her main character is going through some like really bad period cramps and she's like, no, like, don't look at me. I look disgusting. I've been throwing up. And he's like, it's okay. It's just blood. It's only blood. And I'm like, am I supposed to be, like, congratulating him? Like, the bar like, is on the floor. <laughs> like, And, like, li- like, girls are, like, eating this shit up. And mm-hmm. I'm like, it's just a period. Like, I, when, I remember back in, like, the 2010s, this was a huge thing that was going around where a guy would post a picture of, like, his girlfriend waking up and, like, there were blood on the sheets. Because, oh, like, she started bleeding uh, in I her sleep, that. right? That's disgusting. And all of the captions were, like, if you wake up and your girl is like this, what you doing? And then there was this one guy that was like, are you kidding me? It's natural. I would wake up my girl and I would run her a hot bath and I would ask her if she wants me to get her ice cream and I would this and that. Like, I don't know if you remember, because this is a very specific memory in my head. It's a very sanctimonious kind of, like, um, point of view that he's trying to, like, you know, show other people, like, oh, I'm so nice and amazing that I actually don't care about this seemingly disgusting thing. This post that I'm, like, referring to, and I really do want to find it. I need to, like, (laughs) go back in the depths of, like, 2010s, like, Facebook, and I need to find it. But, like, that to me literally just shows the complete two opposite sides of the spectrum that I'm discussing here. On one side, asshole man. On other side, asshole man that thinks that he's a good guy. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's another thing. The nice guy. Ugh. Mm. we hate it i hate the nice guy we don't like it because like the second that you say you're a nice guy i know i know that you're not a nice guy. like nice people don't say they're nice i think their actions speak for for themselves yeah the second that you have to be like but i'm a nice guy or like why don't you like me i'm such a nice guy the friend zone Ugh. (laughs) that that in and of itself is just it's such it's such a male like a male driven concept. First of all, like the friend zone. Like if you want to talk about the friend zone, then like I think we need to discuss about how like if you want to say that it exists, which like I don't think it does. But um, if you want to talk about that, then like I think we should talk about how it's um, a lot more hurtful for women mm-hmm. because a man will be saying like. Well, like, I'm only being nice to her and I'm only being friendly with her because, like, I want to sleep with her and now she's not. So I'm just not going to, like, I'm going to treat her like I treat every other woman that I'm mm-hmm. not interested in, which is, like, a complete, like, piece of shit. Except mm-hmm. I'm angry at her, so I'm going to be even nastier to her. And then the woman is thinking that, like, she has an actual friend and then realizes that he only just wanted to sleep with her. Yeah. So... And, like, I'm not saying this in the sense that, like, there aren't shitty women out there. Like, there are shitty women and... The fact that I do support their actions. I feel like there's a sense of entitlement, <laughs> that's though. That's a joke that... for anybody that wanted to know. Um, I think that's a given. But no, I feel like there's a sense of entitlement that comes with the friend zone. Yeah. And the guy is just like, I'm her friend. Like, I'm going through all this effort, you know? And 
the least you could do is sleep with me. Yeah. I mean, that's how I feel like, like when people or say... Or like the attitude of like, zone. well, why would I be nice to you if I wasn't planning on sleeping mm-hmm. with you? I you know, that. I Yours, have you ever it. been not other girled? I would like you to explain what that means. Has a, has a guy <laughs> ever told you like, oh, you're so special. You're not like the other girls. I've never been told I was special. Oh, <laughs> OK. Well, have you ever been told that you're not like the other girls? Yes. Oh, really? What was that experience like? Because like, I feel like that's a, I feel like that's a core memory that we need to unpack. OK, Um, we hate it. Yeah, <laughs> we don't like it. Because, like, not like other girls basically means, like, most girls are not great because they like stupid things like, you know, hair and makeup and, like, having their nails done. And, like, you know, inherent, like, not inherently, but, like, generally girly things. The dehumanization of teenage girls. Yeah. Like Twilight. I hate it. Like, there was a time, I remember, where it was so popular to hate on Twilight, I started hating on it, even though I actually liked it, like, the first movie. Okay. So, like, I actually have a thing about Twilight because, I mean, when people say now that, um, like, teenage girls are really reclaiming their interests, which, like, good mm-hmm. for you guys. I love that for all of you. Um, I wish that I was doing that when I was a teenager. Same. But the thing is about Twilight specifically is that, like, those books send a really bad message they do and like so like i feel like the example of saying like oh well everybody was hating on twilight because teenage girls were liking it that was obviously a huge part of it but no one was saying that they hated twilight because oh you know the messages are not okay they were like yeah but but, like the way that it's shifted into now now that everybody's like no it's different now it's a lot different so i feel like twilight isn't like the best example to do i would say more of like you know what i'm gonna say like teen dramas Oh. And, like, rom-coms and those kinds of things. Do mm-hmm. you know how much I get shit on for liking rom-coms? They're my favorite movie genre. Oh, I know. They're my favorite <laughs> movie genre. I mean, like, if I have to choose, it's going to be a period drama over anything. Mm-hmm. But, like, comfort movie? Rom-com. Yeah. Rom-com. And, like, you know how much I get shit on for it? Like, one of my favorite movies of all time is How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. That's stellar cinema. <laughs> you know? Like, 10 out of 10 cinema. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's enjoyable for me. And people, like, completely just drag you for it. Because, like, if your, like, favorite book or movie isn't something, you know, like, like a classic or, like, something written by a man that was called, like, that was critically acclaimed or whatever, like, then it's not worth it. Like, that's how I feel, like, the same with the romance genre in general. Yeah. Mm, no matter what the media lot. is, like, whether yeah. it's, like, a book or a movie or a show or even just, like, pop, like, romance, like, love mm-hmm. songs in general, Taylor Swift, like... The fan that- culture... Like, the fangirl culture. I think people hate on girls a lot for that as well. Oh, 100%. And, like, I was a Tumblr girl in the 2010s. That was my brand. Um, And, like, I was hated on a lot for that. Horrible. (laughs) You know, it's, like, it's, like... It's really shitty to do because, like, when you get not other girls, which, like, I have been, Mm -hmm. it wasn't fun. No. The bet... You know what a guy once called me? What? Exotic. Ugh. Right? That was fun. Um, And, like, it was just, like, at the time you think, like, because I didn't know anything then. And I Mm -hmm. was like, oh, my God, like, he thinks I'm exotic. Like, that's so, I'm not, like, other girl because, like. You're special. Yeah. And then you look at it now and you're actually like, what what the fuck was I thinking? Yeah. I love how, like, we veered completely off topic. Um, Because we were talking about. (laughs) No, I love this tangent. We love this tangent. Um, But we're going to get back to the the course. So the period. (laughs) Yes. No, actually, I want to move on from the period because I think it was we've covered that. Let's talk about the ovaries or the uterus because, okay, we have to. I'm just going to mention this because I think it's important. But 
the use of the word ovary and uterus in like when men are writing women is so excessive and so redundant. Is it? Oh my god. Because they can't just say like the vagina or, you know, the like the proper terminology. They'll always say like her ovaries and her uterus, but they're all they're always gonna use it in a weird context. Like, um, Oh my god, there was one sentence I read that was like, her ovaries giggled when they saw me, or no. they smiled when they saw me. No. And I was just like, wow. It's, mm. I don't believe that. Yeah, it's bad. I don't bad. believe that. It's bad. Or her I've uterus heard, was shaking with excitement. Because I've, I've heard the fascination that men have with like the humanization of breasts, mm-hmm. which, oh, I think is, which I think is so funny because they're so quick to dehumanize women in general. My favorite line that as anyone has ever said about breasts are, her breasts were heaving. Like that's, I love that line because it's no, so fucking stupid. No, my it's favorite so is the one that's like, um, like her seventeen-inch waistline stood in perfect proportion with her double D breast, her oh natural. God. We're double gonna talk D about that next. Yeah, and I'm like, how is this bitch not falling over? Like, like what the hell is that? No, they don't understand. I feel like the personalized personalization of like women's body parts. Is very stupid, but it reminds me of like Anastasia's Inner Goddess. Like the way you hated that. Are you talking about Fifty Shades of Grey? Yes. So I never read it. No, but I've, I've heard some of the lines, some of the amazing lines. But no, but even in the movies, like I watched it because you can't not watch it. Like oh, I watched them. So like I watched. There's this thing about this Inner Goddess that's like everyone's been talking about because it was in the books, and I was like, what is that? So I was curious. She's doing like a hula dance, right? Yeah, her yeah. inner goddess is like a, a different entity. It's a separate being. It's her alter ego. Exactly. Okay. And I love how like men... I fuck with that. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Mm, to an extent. Yeah. I love how men just like feel like that's the way they treat your your reproductive system. Like it's different from you. It's separate, you know? You have no personality, but the b- parts that can benefit them, yeah, they deserve a but personality. But like to be fair, but like a very my, solid one. My ovaries themselves aren't benefiting you unless you want a child with me. Yeah. So like, and like you get what I'm saying. So like, why are you so obsessed with my because ovaries? Because they don't know the difference. Because they just hear like all different types of like they hear all different types of terms for like all different things that are down mm-hmm. like a uterus ovaries and they're just like it's oh the that's same a thing. synonym for a vagina in yep. general. It's the same thing. Okay, got it. <laughs> I'm happy you did. Because, okay, I get it. Okay, um, last part that I want to talk about. Um, not last. One of the last parts that I want to mm-hmm. talk about is like you mentioned before, female bodies. Because the male gaze. There's. Mm, yes. Okay. You. You. The male gaze is possibly one of my favorite topics to discuss, especially because I make so many jokes about how I lean into the male gaze. And, like, the internalized misogyny mm-hmm. of women. <laughs> We're laughing, but it's all from the pain. <laughs> no, because, like, I feel like there is at this point, like, okay, I feel like I've done the whole, like, angry feminist thing and, like, I'm, I'm over it, you know? Okay. I'm, like, I'm less angry now and I'm more just tired. Because, like, up, yeah. I can't do anything myself anymore, you know? Like, what's the most I can do? Tell a man to fuck off. I do that daily. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, like, when it comes to the male gaze in particular, I'm... Because it's so... I feel like the male gaze is so different from the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, because with the, with the male gaze, she has things to say. She has a personality. But he's not interested in it. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? So, like, I feel like the male gaze is, like, you need the male gaze to have a manic pixie dream girl, but you don't need a manic pixie dream girl to have a male gaze. 
And that's, I think, a huge problem because then a man can always turn into a nice guy and be like, oh, but like she's still like I, she has a personality and everything. That doesn't mean that he's interested in it, though. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I feel like that's a huge issue. I mean, like male gaze is more appropriate to discuss when you're talking about like movies or TV shows or, or something like that or even like. Or even, like, modeling and, like, fashion shoots when you have a male photographer. But it's also, like, really prevalent in books Mm -hmm. because you see the way that, like, there's this one guy. And then that, like, all the girls in the book are, like, all going after him and everything. And I'm like, why? Like, why? Yeah. And also, like, women are generally described as... This is the description that all women get, okay? They're super curvy, but they're thin. You know, yeah. they're they're they have like breasts and boobs, and they're big, but they also have a really really thin waist. Yeah, they have no stretch marks, no cellulite because mm, it grows. They have. She doesn't wear makeup. Yeah, because she wear her makeup, eyelashes yeah. are always like super long, mm-hmm. and she has naturally clear skin. Yeah, she doesn't work out or diet, but you know she doesn't that's ever gross, gain weight. Because why would women sweat? Exactly. But like she can eat like fifty million cheeseburgers. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And also, you know, she never knows that she's pretty. She's like the most attractive woman in the room and everyone thinks so. But she only has eyes for him, a really average looking man. And she doesn't believe that she's pretty un- until he tells her that she's pretty. Because obviously for for two reasons, because a woman cannot exist without a man's validation. Mm-hmm. And also because if a woman knows that she's pretty, that makes her a bitch. Because what happens when a girl knows that she's pretty obviously in a man's mind they have to use it and they have to weaponize it which Mm -hmm. makes her a slut yeah the slut shaming of women like please in books oh my god like please the slut shaming the fat phobia like there's and this was a huge problem with women authors too especially back in like i feel like about 10 years ago when like i feel like when ya first started becoming um a more like prevalent genre for teenagers when there wasn't just the option of okay you're either going to read harry potter or percy jackson or like dan brown mm-hmm. right when all other books started coming out also new adult twilight i mean started a real trend of girl hating yep. because that like jessica i'm so sorry girl she's for what horrible. i used to say to you are you no she's really not no she's really not i am, she's horrible f- I meant she's a horrible, oh, like... like, she's a horrible, like, example of, yeah. like, wow, okay. So, like, like Jessica, girl, like, I'm so sorry for everything that I said about you when I was, like, 12 years old. Like, I did not mean any of that. I feel so bad for her because, like, she really didn't do anything, but there was a lot of, like, every single like, person is she hated a, her. Like, is she a bad friend? Yeah. yeah. Does she talk shit about Bella? Yeah. Did but she doesn't let Bella, Bella kind of deserve it? Did like, she let Bella ride on a back of, like... A man's motorcycle that she oh didn't even God. know and left? Yes. But she was a child as well. She was, like, a teen. And she was, like, not the best person. But she did not deserve the hate she the, got. The girl hating that really started to, like, show up in books everywhere in, like, the 2010s. And that was... And that's really sad because, like, all of those books were written by women. Mm-hmm. You know, like, Anna and the French Kiss. Did you ever read that? I've heard so many things about it. It's I'm never so gonna read it. It's so bad. It's horrible. It's so... I'm not talking about, like, the book itself. Although, like, no, I no, don't like happens? the book. But, like, the way that it's, the way that it's handled... And, like, the whole story is about this girl who's going after this guy that has a girlfriend. And the girlfriend is not in the book. They're doing, Mm -hmm. like, a long-distance relationship or something like that, right? Because he's in the high school and she's, like, graduated. And, like, the girlfriend who's, like, never in the book, this main character just, like, hates her. And I'm like, 
but it's his girlfriend. And, like, the guy's a piece of shit also, mm-hmm. but, like, so is the main character. And, like, I like I get that it's escapism for a lot of people, but, like, there also comes a point where it's, like, you need to understand that, like, because I love shitty things, right? Like, rom-coms are so terrible for everything, right? Like, they're not, like I said, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days is like one of movies, my favorite yeah. movies, and that movie is such a bad example of like girl power like you know what i'm saying it's awful but i understand that and i accept that like it's not a great um it's it wasn't a great moment for like women Mm -hmm. you know like it wasn't awesome in general rom-coms in like 2000s and 2010s were not great for women yeah but they're They're also like they're also like so entertaining and i Mm -hmm. feel like it's it's fine if you like those things but you also need to understand that like when people criticize it they're not saying that it, you that you're not allowed to like it because half the things I criticize I love. Mm-hmm. You know that's just because I love I love to criticize. You know I love it to pick I love to pick things apart, and like I feel like you can say that something is not good technically, but still enjoy. You can still find enjoyment in that. Okay. Um. Anyways. Um. We're gonna move on. Because yeah, as much as it's fun like, to heated. criticize, yeah, we I'm kinda, also getting like really mad. <laughs> we don't want that. We kind of want to go to more positive things. Yeah, uh, we want to talk about strong badass women in books. Oh my god, I love this. Okay, um, Liraz, would you like to give one of your favorites? I don't think it will come as a surprise when I say that Lizzie Bennet from Pride and Prejudice is like. One of the most amazing, strong, opinionated female American characters out there, and I'm obsessed with her. I think I think she's a classic for a lot of people. She's mm-hmm. definitely one of mine. I would say Lizzie is up there in, like, top three favorite characters ever. Like, I mean, let's not talk about the fact that she's, like, pretty feminist for the time that she was written. Yeah. You to know, be like, fair, Jane Austen was also. Yeah. Like, she didn't want to get married for, like, financial reasons because, you know, that's what women did at the time she wanted to get married for love and she had like i don't know like f- three proposals during the the entire book did she mr oh, collins yeah. mr darcy and then mr darcy again when he finally understood that he's not supposed to be mean to oh the person God. you're supposed to propose to <laughs> like i don't know look first of all lizzie bennett she's like amazing she's witty she's smart she's clever she's, she's so she's so witty i know like i mean she's witty in the movie but then like if you read the book yeah. right it's she is so funny like, like her she thoughts does not stop are the entire time and like miss she does not give mr darcy a break no. at all and i feel oh my god like she's just so good i love her i love how you know she she has her own like wills and wants and beliefs you know and she doesn't let other people's opinions influence that or like change that like the amount of times in the book that people opposed her and people were telling her to marry mr collins because you know he's the first guy who told her to get married with him and like that's what you do at the time or marry mr darcy because he had a lot of money even though he was being a dick um you know like so many people told her like she was wrong but she was very headstrong about the fact that she wants to do what is right for her and she's not gonna like you know put her morals or her like moral compass on the line just for financial stability one of my favorite things about lizzie in particular is that she knows that like her society is a little you know backwards mm-hmm. to put it lightly but like she also knows that she's not going to change it herself because like what can she do but what she can do is say no and yep. she did and like 
I don't care if you're mad about it. Like, I'm going to say no to your proposal and I'm going to give you my thoughts in the process. Mm -hmm. Like, she's just going to, like, what does she say in the proposal with Darcy? I remember that because I love that line. He's so mean to her. He's telling her the line is, oh, my God, what is it? It's he's falling in love with her despite his better judgment oh my god that's what it was mm-hmm. and she's like she's like how how was i supposed to say yes like did you like really did you expect <laughs> she goes to him like like did you actually think i was gonna say yes when you said that and he's like yeah like he's so serious about yeah, it he's like what are you talking about he's like, what? No? <laughs> i don't get it like you shock. don't want this like, 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 okay. I just insulted your family. I just insulted you. I just called you guys, you know, money-seeking, like, people. I don't know. Like, only after me for my money. Only after me because, like, I can give you something. But despite all that, and despite the fact that I called you, um, you know, not the handsomest woman in the ball when they were, like, dancing or whatever, he's like, I thought you would accept my proposal. Because, like, I'm a man, and I can give you money, and I can give you a title. He's like, so, like, he's like, he does the thing where he's like, well, I love you. You don't love me? And like, she's like, no. Like, no. Okay. But, no, like, Lizzie Bennet, what Amazing. an icon. What Amazing. an icon. You know? What other ones do you have? Um, You're going to love this one. Am Katniss I? Everdeen. Okay. <laughs> okay. Like, Listen. Katniss Everdeen, I know you love her. I but do. But before you start your um, entire, like... <laughs> Just to put it out there, I am the leader of the Hunger Games Defense Squad. Mm-hmm. I will die on that hill. It is one of the most revolutionary books of all time. And Katniss Everdeen slaps. Whoever said that she's boring is wrong. Continue. Okay. <laughs> she is amazing. I agree with you. She's super strong, like, mentally and physically strong throughout the entire books. She's incredibly, like, she's a complex character. She's a complex heroine because not only is she, you know, she's, like, filled with, like, this immense sense of duty to her family and to her sister and her mother, she also just wants better for herself. And throughout the books, you see her growth. And I love, I love it when, like, you see how intense a character's growth is, especially, like, with women. I love how you can acknowledge that they're flawed, and they're not villainized for it. It's perfectly fine to be flawed. And she's working on, like, bettering herself throughout the book. And, you know, she makes some really horrible decisions. And she she has, like, horrible, horrible opinions at the beginning. But she learns through it. And I love the journey that she goes through. And I love how strong she is. Because she was only 16. And she, like, led a fucking revolution, okay? That's, that's strength. I feel like with Katniss in particular, her, like, she goes through some shit, you know, and she's, um, she's kind of, like, mentally fucked by the end, and I feel like one of the main parts of, like, basically deconstructing that entire book and why it's so brilliant, Mm -hmm. aside from Katniss, is the way that the entire, like, the actual leaders of the revolution, because, like, she didn't do anything for that revolution. She was basically just used as, like, a mascot, their mascot, and the way that she herself is struggling with it and saying that she doesn't want anything to do with it and the way that she can't, like, find any any emotion or any empathy towards mm-hmm. it unless she's actually being faced with it in front of her, I think it's so important to realize the way... Because, like, that book is told in first person, right? And it's... I think that's one of the best choices that was ever made for that series because you really see the way that she's struggling 
And like, even though she doesn't know what she's going through and like she can't understand any of it, she like we as the audience, we as the readers are able to see. And like, I think that's very important for Katniss's character. I think so, too. I think. Wow, she's she's an incredible main character. And I think one of the reasons that the books, the book series were was so su- successful at the time was because of Katniss and because of how much, you know, like, even if you didn't like her, you respected her in a certain way. Yeah. Like, and she really pushed these books forward. Like, because, like, she's not meant to be, like, the, like, this amazing, likable, like, leader of the revolution, like, standing in front of a whole army and, like, giving an inspiring speech because, like, she's 16. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like, she's not supposed to be doing that. And she doesn't want to be doing it either. And, like, that's the whole point of the books is that, like, no 16-year-old is supposed to be doing that. The fact that we think that she should be, the fact that people don't like her because she doesn't do that is, like, one of the main things that the book is like, hey, that's not cool. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And the fact that it's Katniss that's doing it, like... She's just incredible. Also, this book series kind of, like, started the wave of YA dystopian fantasies, like, sort of, uh, or books that have, like, badass female main characters. It, like, there were to a be lot fair, before. they never did it right. That's why mm-hmm. the thing died out so quickly. Yeah, there were a lot before, and there were a ton after, but I think it kind of started this wave where a lot of authors were like, okay, we need strong female main characters. A lot of them failed. Some didn't. But most of them did. But you I know just why, the though. Fact- it was because they didn't actually, like, see what the whole point of the Hunger Games was. No. They saw the whole formula of badass female character. Badass with, plus like, Plus, well, Katniss was actually badass. Katniss was, but the um, characters they, that like, they, you know, based They saw the formula of, like, badass female character plus um, love triangle mm-hmm. and then war. It also wasn't a love triangle. I'm sorry. No, it wasn't. It wasn't meant to be. But that's what I'm saying. Like, people saw that and that's what it was, quote unquote, supposed to be. Or, like, that's what they took away from it without realizing, like, there's so much more. That's not, like, the whole point of it, you know? So, like, that's what people saw. And then they thought that they could just, like, throw in a war Mm -hmm. also and be like, hey, this government's so messed up. And, like, okay, like, we know that. Like, thanks. And then that's just, and then they thought that they could, like, recreate the Hunger Games. And that's why they all failed. Yeah, I think the fact that, like, just in general, like, it, this book created as much attention and, like, it garnered as much atten- attention as it did was incredible because, like, it deserves this attention and deserves this love. And especially, like, after the movies came out, like, I know there was another surge of, like, you know, dystopian female yeah. main characters. It just is very unfortunate that none of them got the point. Got the point. Like, I'm sure there are some. I can think of some on the top of my head, but, like, it's not the same. It wasn't the same level that Katniss, like, Cause did. It was all, like, surface level. Mm-hmm. And, like, nobody understood that the whole point of the Hunger Games was, like, not to be surface level. Like, you actually have to work to find the point. Exactly. And, like, it took me a long time to find it. And that's why I'm standing here today as the leader of the Hunger <laughs> Games Defense Squad. <laughs> like, that book series is so good. Is that your official title now? That's how you, we're going to refer to you? No, my official title is Cool Girl. Okay. But, I mean, subtitle, mm-hmm. Hunger Games Fan Squad. You have many hats. Yes. Okay, another one, Michelle. Do you want to give us another female main character that you're obsessed with? I mean, just in general, like Amy Dunn. <laughs> Listen, she's so, like, if anybody hasn't read Gone Girl or seen the movie, I'm so sorry for you. Because, like, actually, you're missing out. And, like, I'm not even going to feel bad about spoiling you right now. 
But um, but there will be spoilers now, so if you didn't watch it or, like, read the books, be aware. Yeah, and, like, go read it because, like, it's so good. But, like, Amy Dunn as a character, I mean, I love when we just let women, like, be mm-hmm. women, you know? But, like, with Amy Dunn, she is so messed up and so evil, but she's, like... I mean, I don't even know how to put it. Like, she just completely revolutionized female villains. I'm saying, like, revolutionized a million times in this episode, but that's because I have amazing taste Mm -hmm. in books and authors that revolutionize the entire genre. So, like, get on my recommendations, you know? And, like, Amy Dunn, like, her cool girl monologue, just in general, obviously, is so incredible because, I mean, I was a little 13, 14-year-old girl, and I was reading that and being like, I don't really think this is me. And then as you grow up, and the whole point of the Cool Girl monologue is to say, like, women, we change our personalities in order to fit whoever we want to be attracted to us at Mm -hmm. all times. And, I mean, sitting here as somebody who, like, wholeheartedly raises their hand and says that they lean into the male gaze all the time, you know, that kind of, like, made me feel a little attacked. But, like, at the time, I, I wasn't sitting there saying, like, oh, like, that's not me. Like, that's, that's not, like, But when you were 13, you weren't the target audience for this book as well, so, like... Well, my mom thought I was, because she's the one who gave me the book. Okay. So, you know, like, that is... But then, like, as you get older, and as you start to get interested in, like, boys, or whoever you're interested in, and you start to realize that, like, you do, like, kind of do that, Mm -hmm. you know? And then, like, I would sit there, I would have, like, complete mental spirals with myself, and I would be like, do I even have interests, or do I just want to because like one of my other main interests aside from books is movies and I unfortunately have the movie taste of a like 19 year old boy who's living in his college dorm for the first time away from home you know like I mean those movies they're for some reason so good to me and like I'll sit there and I'll think that Fight Club is a good movie which I do it is a good movie and I'll like I'll be like, well, do I even like this movie or do I just like it? Because I know that one day there will be a man who will like Fight Club and I'll be like, oh, I like that movie, too. And he'll think that I'm cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's Mm -hmm. so like I've gone through that so many times and I've come to the realization that I do actually like Fight Club because it slaps. And that's because and that's because the men that like that movie don't understand it. (laughs) Yeah. No, when I first watched the movie, I was like, "Mm, I don't know if I'll like this because it seems like very, you know, I'm a manly man. I like to fight. But then then the plot started happening and then I actually understood like what's happening. I'm like, oh, my God. okay." it kind of did the 500 Days of Summer thing where the author of the book, the director of the movie, who also directed Gone Girl, by the way. Wow. um, And the two lead actors, Ed Norton and Brad Pitt. Like, all four of these men just sit there and they're like, to all the guys that look at this movie and see it as, like, the pinnacle of what a man is, like, you all miss the point. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, my God, like, I know, right? So, like, like you get Am it. Am I smarter than anyone Am else? Am I better than everybody else? Like, <laughs> yes. yes. And, like, I feel, but, like, the cool girl mom, like, that really, like, put that into focus for me. And, like, there's this one bit that specifically just, like, always calls out to me because, um... Amy, she's having her whole little rant that I think is incredible. And she's talking about the way that, like, the cool girl, that's, like, the ultimate, in, that's, like, the ultimate compliment for a girl mm-hmm. when it comes to men. Like, that's all they want to be called by a man. Like, if a man calls you cool, like, that's it. Like, that's what you want from them. And, like, you don't want anything else from them. Like, that's, they've given you the most that they can give you in, at that point. 
Because, like, that's all we want to be seen as, right? And then she has this other part where she's talking about, um, she discusses the way that, like, women, and especially mothers, on, how you see these commercials and everything, like, you would think, you would think that the only thing that women do at this point is clean and bleed. Because that's the only thing that we're known for. And, like, like, it's just so good. And, like, the way that Amy, like, I don't support her, but, like, I do. You know what I'm saying? Like, am I making sense? Yes. Because, like, I don't, love what she does but at the same time she's not a good person but you love her anyways yeah and like i feel like i mean i joke a lot about how i'm like oh no amy dunn did nothing wrong i know she did a lot wrong but at the same time nick is a little bitch (laughs) and like i don't think that what she did before nick because this is what the movie got wrong they didn't talk about amy before nick Mm -hmm. i mean like they did kind of but they didn't really go into like all the messed up shit that she did before but like I don't think that what she did before Nick was okay. But, like, maybe he kind of deserved what he got. <laughs> like, like, I know that he didn't. But also, like, I hate him and I love Amy. So, like, we have to, you know? Anyway, um, I'm going to go off of Amy Dunn. And I'm going to talk about some more, like, lighthearted female characters that I adore. And that's Joe and Amy March from Little Women. Liraz, you've seen the movie, right? I have, yes. Have, you read, both. The, have you read the book? No, because it's really big. And, it, like, it's, it's actually it's not. It's so threatening. It's not that big. Really? No. My copy is 500 pages. That's, like... How like how thin are the pages? Like, Bible pages? Like, tiny, tiny handwriting? Because, like... I mean, it's a Penguin classic, so, like, make that judgment yeah, yourself. Okay. <laughs> no, but there, it's 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 pretty long for a classic. I mean, for a classic, not that much. Okay, you're thinking of, like, Anna Karenina. That's... No. <laughs> That's, like, extreme. <laughs> anyway. for uh, Anna Karenina is another good character. Oh I love her. Anyway, Joe and Amy March are... Like, first of all, like, they're sisters, and I love sisters, but Joe and Amy March as characters, I think, are just incredible because you see two complete, like, completely different sides of what a feminine person can do, and, like, Joe, I would argue, is, like, pretty feminine, even though she, like, that's the thing, like, people see that she's just, like, a tomboy, Mm -hmm. that means that, like, there's no feminine qualities about her, like, she's just practically a boy, and, like, she's really not, she does have a very, like, maternal instinct when it comes to her sisters. She loves them and she wants to take care of them, even though she gets so angry at them all the time, especially Amy. And, like, I read the book, right? And I was an Amy stan from day one. So everybody that was coming at Amy before the 2019 movie came out, like, I see you. Yeah, I think I know who you all are, and I want to say that I was there first. The first movie adaptation kind of did Amy wrong, I think, after watching the second movie adaptation. It's not just that movie because like also in the book like people hated her and i am a youngest sibling i don't know if i give off that energy but um do i a little bit do i okay so i'm a youngest sibling and i'm also incredibly feminine and i really related to amy in the sense that she just wanted to like have a good life and she was willing to like and i feel like that's something that we don't talk about enough because like you have lizzie bennett Mm -hmm. who is obviously incredible and like an icon but then you also have amy who literally had all of the responsibility of her family put on her shoulders and she's the youngest that's true Yeah, she should not be that like she should first of all none of the siblings like none of the sisters should have that responsibility the parents should be taking care of the kids. But, like, obviously, circumstances are really bad. And she has the responsibility of, I have to support not only my family that I want to have because she does want a family, but she has to support her sisters. Mm -hmm. Because Joe's not getting married. Beth is really sick. 
and Meg married someone that's like that doesn't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And she like and she was told that when she was really really young. Like you know, she wasn't she wasn't 18 when she heard that. She was like she was a she was a little preteen, you know? And then so she grew up thinking, well, I have no other choice but to marry rich and like you can't blame her for being I mean, you can blame her for a lot of things, like burning the book, but like <laughs> You can't blame her for being just a little bit materialistic because that's what she has to look forward to. Like the monologue she had in the in the nineteen uh, well, it's, it's not in the book. I but know like, that it's not in the book, but I think like like in my for me, that's what made me really, really like her character more and gave her more nuance because like you really understand yeah. after that monologue what she feels like. She's like what do you you think like you know, women can fall in love and now be fine. They can marry for love. No, it doesn't work like that right now. We yeah. need to secure our family's safety, like um, financial safety, um, you know, just in general, emotional so like, safety. So, like, where you have Lizzie and, like, Amy and Lizzie are two of my favorite characters from any book mm-hmm. of all time, not even just classics. Like, you have Amy, who's, like, she feels like she has to take on this responsibility. And then you have Lizzie, who doesn't really have to. Like, she's fine with living on her own and living, because she doesn't have to take care of her sisters. So then she can. And, like, I just think that it's really great. I agree. Anyway. Okay, so I think we've talked a lot about the women that we love. Yes. Um, We're not done yet. We want to end this fun little um this fun little episode with some fun recommendations yes so as you all know we love to give recommendations that sort of fit the theme of this episode so for this one we are going to be recommending books by women that center around women Mm -hmm. so Liraz, would you like to start yes all right so my recommendation is a book that i didn't expect to love but i completely fell in love with um it's called eleanor oliphant is completely fine by gail honeyman so I'm just going to start with the fact that, like, in my opinion, a strong female character is not without flaws. The opposite. It's the exact opposite. A strong female character has flaws. And it's either that they manage it or they overcome it on their own or they own up to their flaws. And they just, like, you know, they're fun with it. And I think in this book, it's done so well. Because, like, Eleanor is a mess, okay? She's a fucking mess. (laughs) She, you know, she hates people. She's horrible in social situations. She doesn't understand social cues. She's very direct, but, like, in an offensive way that people don't find, like, likable. She's very unlikely, you know? Um, And throughout the book, you understand that she has a lot of past trauma that she's been dealing with. Um, And it kind of made her distance herself from, like, people. (laughs) And... She figures out how she needs to deal with this repressed trauma and she needs to kind of um, begin to kind of fix all the things that she's kind of ignored all her life. Like she can't stay complacent in this monotonous life she's built herself without family, without friends, without like fun hobbies or interesting endeavors that she can um, do to break her daily routine. So I loved how in this book you kind of go with her through this journey of her realizing it's not a healthy life she's living and kind of see how she comes to terms with the fact that she needs to work on herself and on her mental health even though that's something she doesn't want to do and it's messy it is ugly it is messy it is not a pretty like you know tied up in a all in a bow like ending you know it's it's messy seeing her come to terms with what she's dealt with but also it's so satisfying because it's real and Eleanor is real. 
and it's not a very difficult read like I read it and I was fine and I have you know I tend to kind of heed trigger warnings because I get triggered easily and this was told in a way that wasn't insensitive or shallow but just deep enough to make you understand the complexity of the character and I love that it's like it's it has some romance in it but the main part of the book is Eleanor and how she deals with her life and I think she's one of the strongest heroines that I've read about and I think you guys should read too because she's amazing I have to read it you should Mm -hmm. get on it yeah okay (laughs) one day I have a lot of really long TBR okay um do you have any other recommendations um that is it for now I mean I think like I read mostly books by women but a lot of the books that I read center more about the romance than about the the women and their lives and I think you know I that's one of the things that I'm trying to well, you can recommend on. romance books. No, I think romance books are incredible and you That's should definitely a, yeah. read them. But I, I'm i trying to highlight kind of books about women that are centered on women and their experiences and not centered on women in relationships. Yeah. And I think that women in romance novels, there are so many incredible strong women and incredible authors that I recommend. Um, and okay, I'm just going to put it out there. Mariana Zapata and Ella Mays are like top tier. Please read them. Okay, Um, but I think that these books are more centered on the relationship and they do have self-discovery in them, but not in the same sense as, you know, Eleanor Oliphant or there's another one. Um, The Book is Life of Nina Hall also uh, talks about that in the same way about a woman trying to kind of like find her place in life and kind of she combats the false reality that she's kind of subdued herself to i think those are the stories that i want to highlight right now okay so that's also what i've like that's where my recommendations all come in because the books that i've been reading for the past i would say like three years have mostly been centered around female characters and their stories of like personal growth and that's sort of why i've i mean i've never read a lot of romance Mm -hmm. but like that's sort of why i haven't even like considered touching one lately because these are the stories that i'm very interested in and i don't see that changing anytime soon and that's fine so that's where i have a lot of a lot of (laughs) recommendations um i want to start off with two uh collections of short stories the first one is a very popular one it's called her body and other parties by carmen maria machado this book messed with my head so much because it it's so it gets so in your head. Essentially, it's a collection of eight, I think, eight or ten. I don't remember exactly. Short stories that deal with the trauma of the female body and the harms that are inflicted upon your body and the harms that we inflict upon ourselves as women. And I just want to say the first and last story are probably two of the best short stories that I've ever read. Mm -hmm. And I know for a fact that the first one is, I mean, it's so good. Check trigger warnings before you read these books. Yeah, a lot, a lot of trigger warnings for all of the books that I'm about Mm -hmm. to mention. For Her Body and Other Parties specifically, there's uh, mentions of eating disorder. There's uh, a lot of discussion about consent, especially between married couples, um, sexual assault, sexual content, just in general, um self-harm yeah i started Um, reading that book like uh, two years ago and i had to stop because it was too much for me the last story deals with the aftermath of a sexual assault it's 
not discussed and it's not shown but you do know what happens and it is briefly alluded to so be careful to check trigger warnings for that one um the other collection that i want to talk about is called you know you want this by Kristen rupenian this i haven't seen anybody talk about and it's really upsetting because i haven't heard i of it. i told you about it did i not mm-hmm I did. Cat Person. You remember that short story? That's oh, another. That's the one? Yeah. Okay. That's another short story that you can find online on The New Yorker. And it's so good. And basically, the author of that short story ended up like it, the, that short story went viral on the internet uh, at like the height of the Me Too movement. And so she wrote in a short story collection. And again, please check trigger warnings. Um, there's a lot of discussions of very unhealthy relationships, a lot of issues about consent. And just like, but it's so good. Again, I think eight short stories. Um, A few other recommendations. First of all, My Body by Emily Ratajkowski, a nonfiction collection of essays by the model Emily Ratajkowski. Really, really hit hard. I really enjoyed it. Um, My Year of Rest and Relaxation by Otessa Moshevig. If you want a book where you really see the mental illness of a woman and that it's actually addressed you really see it in this one it's so like there's no other word to describe it it shows how ugly and disgusting mm-hmm. mental illness is in a way that you don't see in like other books and it's really and upsetting so to see because also this main character our narrator is so unlikable and you really see like the length that she goes and it's so like wow it's a bit of a slow book um but it's good uh any book by sally rooney Huge recommendation. Shout out to all of my mentally ill girlies. I am with you. Um, If you're looking for books that just center women in their narrative, Taylor Jenkins Reid is always great. The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo especially deals with a sapphic romance and it's so good. But you also really see a lot of Evelyn Hugo as a person and she's super complex. And finally, huge trigger warnings for my last, uh, last recommendation, My Dark Vanessa by Kate Elizabeth Russell. I mean, just a lot of trigger warnings, sexual assault, pedophilia, rape, statutory rape. Just it's a very dark story, but it's so important and it hits you so hard. It's about this girl who, when she's 15 years old, she gets into a relationship with her English teacher who is in his mid or late 40s, I think. And she is subsequently groomed by him. And it's so hard to read through but it's also so important to get through Mm -hmm. and again like it's very dark it's very heavy I had to take several breaks while reading it but it was very very worth it in the end and I think that it's a book that many many people should read and I think that's it for me okay I think we've given you all the recommendations we have yeah I have a lot of other books that I want to read but that I have not read yet Mm -hmm. but that center around this entire topic And if I ever get to them, I will tell you. But for now, that's it. All right. So I think that's it for this episode. We had a lot of fun talking about women and how much we love women. Yes. Um, So stay tuned and we'll see you in the next episode. Goodbye. Bye. Fully booked. Read into it with Michelle Amar and Liraz Levy. All our shows and podcasts available online on our website and on all podcast platforms. Search Audioversity. Call